Hi, Vetfolio voice friends. I'm so excited to bring you this podcast episode where we've decided to kind of mix it up a little bit. Today, I'm joined by NAVC's Chief Veterinary Officer, Dr. Dana Varble, for a discussion on feeling stuck in veterinary medicine. We both had a lot to say about the topic, so let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Varble and we'll jump right in. Dr. Dana Varble earned her bachelor's degree in zoology from Southern Illinois University and her DVM from the University of Illinois. While completing her DVM, Dr. Varble pursued a non-traditional clinical rotation schedule, fulfilling her academic requirements at a variety of alternate locations, including the University of Tennessee, Louisiana State University, Brookfield Zoo, which I have to say, if you've never been to Brookfield Zoo, it's right outside of Chicago. It was one of my favorite places to visit when I was living there. Highly recommend. But I digress. Back to Dr. Varble, who also completed clinical rotations at the University of Pretoria in South Africa. She has been all over the place. She has a background in clinical medicine, including exotics, small animal general practice, and emergency medicine, and still practices part-time, picking up relief shifts, as well as working at Chicago Exotics Animal Hospital in Skokie, Illinois. She's a national and international speaker in the field of herpetological and exotic animal medicine and surgery, and has authored several publications in that field. And in keeping with her interest in organized veterinary medicine, Dr. Farble served on the board of directors for the Association of Reptilian and Amphibian Veterinarians, including serving as the president of that organization from 2012 to 2013. She's also a member of the American Veterinary Medical Association and the Association of Exotic Mammal Veterinarians. She joined NAVC in 2015, where her role has continued to evolve, and in 2020, she was named Chief Veterinary Officer for the NAVC. She shares her home with four ball pythons and, her words, a mixed-up brown dog named Hannah. And actually, Hannah had some thoughts on this topic as well, and she kind of jumps in at the end with her opinion. So stay tuned for that. Let's jump in. Dana, thank you for joining me. Uh, Thanks so much, Cassie. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Uh, It's going to be great. And what we kind of wanted to talk about today, our our goal here is basically just to have a conversation about what it's like to be a veterinarian. And where we were thinking of taking things today is feeling like you're stuck in this career. And this is something I have heard, heard said multiple times, things like, I don't know if I'm happy in this career, but I'm so invested at this point. I don't know if I have any other options. And Dana, it was actually you having this conversation with someone recently about their career that kind of inspired this whole episode. Yeah, it's, I agree, Cassie. I hear it a lot and people seem to, you know, if if you've ever read anything I've written for our publications, I really like to remind people that there's a big difference between your career and your job. Um, Your job is, you know, that's your nine to five. That's what pays bills, keeps the lights on at home, keeps your family fed. And it's really easy to, if you're feeling stuck in your job, to feel like you're stuck in your career. Most of us chose a career in veterinary medicine with like very lofty goals. A lot of us are really type A, very career ambitious. Yeah, really (laughs) driven, driven people. And I think a lot of people start to feel like if their nine to five is, which is never nine to five, which is the first part of the the hilarious (laughs) moment in vet med is I don't care what field you're in in vet med, it is never nine to five. But there's this kind of this recurring thing I hear from friends and colleagues where where they start to feel really stuck. They feel like they made a job choice and now they're stuck in it. And, you know, there's a variety of reasons they feel that way. But I recently had a, just got on the phone with a friend and she was just feeling really down and really upset because she kind of had landed in what she thought was going to be her dream job, you know, the right city, the right type of practice, the right number of things, a lot of good opportunities for her. And to make a long story short, over the years, jobs changed and now she feels stuck there. And, you know, she's just in this really negative headspace where it was like one thing after another, she just felt like she couldn't move, felt like she couldn't change jobs. And it really got me thinking like, there's so much more 
to vet med than just one type of job. And you and I started talking and we realized just between the two of us, how many crazy things we've done. (laughs) Yes, no, we've checked between the two of us, been lucky enough to check tons of boxes in vet med, which may give us, I don't know, a different perspective on how many opportunities there really are out there. And, you know, not to minimize anybody's experience if they are feeling stuck, because there are things that will really take away from the whole experience and get you, like you said, in that really negative headspace. But that's kind of what brought us here today is we want we wanted to talk about some of the things that we've done in our careers and things that we've seen colleagues do and maybe help inspire people who are feeling stuck to, to branch out and, like you said, get away from that job if it's creating a problem and and focus instead on that bigger career yeah like to I think a lot of people don't I think (laughs) it is really funny because people you know they're like how do I get people come up to me a lot and they're like how did you get your job and it is it's I don't know if I've ever told you this Cassie it's a it's a somewhat wacky story (laughs) I can I can relate based on having uh, being a counterpart at NABC. It's also yes, a wacky story. It is. I don't know that anyone's ever ended up and I and I look at the vets who've worked at NABC before me, and I think they would f- be able to say the same thing. I don't know that a lot of vets ended up at NABC through like a really straightforward, obvious, found the job, applied for it, got it, path, and and that's kind of been the case. I. <laughs> I had the, you know, this came out of vet school and I went into a small GP and exotics practice and worked for a couple, a married couple, which um, is a fairly, it used to be a really common, common uh, situation in veterinary medicine. I don't think it's as common anymore. And there are pros and cons to that. <laughs> they could probably a whole episode on what it's like working for a married couple and Tune I don't know that, episode five. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that that's entirely unique to veterinary medicine, but working for a married couple is very interesting. And, you know, GP is great and you build some good relationships, but it really wasn't for me. Um, and I was really disappointed because I'd been out of school only a year when I realized I really it wasn't for me. It was not really stimulating enough and I wasn't loving it. And it was just, it just felt very like it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I did, you know, one year out of vet school, it's really hard to feel like you can do anything else because, you know, usually most of us have a lot of student loans and I moved out of vet school to, for my first job. So I was really nervous to move again. But I had done some work at an ER in vet school, and I was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to do for a few years. I'm (laughs) until I figure out what I really want to do. I'm just going to do ER. And uh, 11 years later, I stopped doing ER. So, (laughs) so that worked out for you there for a little while. (laughs) It did. It did. And you know, I think there's kind of a fear of ER. Like, there's a fear, like. I think it's some people feel like it's really for them and they love it and they're adrenaline junkies and they love doing ER and other people, it makes them really nervous and don't like it. And I could definitely see both sides to that, but I had done ER. I'd even moved in the midst of doing ER. I really always thought in school that I was going to do exotics, Um, maybe zoo practice, something along those lines, but I didn't want to go back to school. I didn't want to do an internship or residency or PhD. I still am glad I decided not to do any of those things, to be honest. Not where I was at at that point in my career. I don't think I would have, I think I would have been a terrible intern, actually. I was really kind of leaning that way. Like fourth year vet school, I was like, probably wasn't most clinicians' favorite students, to be honest. (laughs) I was ready to be done and it showed and ready to move on. So still glad I didn't do that, but I started doing some exotics relief work. We could talk more about relief work, Cassie, because I know that's something you've kind of dabbled into. Relief work's a little bit, I think it's growing in popularity, and I think people are scared of it and shouldn't be, to be honest. Yeah, relief work. I mean, there there's definitely pros and cons to it, and I agree with you. Like, that's a whole nother conversation of 
the world of relief. And I think it's really similar to ER that some people really thrive in that environment and that's what they like to do. And that's where their head's Mm -hmm. at, um, similar to ER. And then, you know, other people are like me who I enjoyed my time as a relief veterinarian. There are definitely a lot of positives to doing that, but eventually I did want to settle back down into a practice. So I I think it's actually probably very similar to ER in that way. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So the weird thing is during all this, I was involved in some leadership roles in some nonprofit associations and (laughs) worked for the Association of Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians, um, was a board member, and we were out looking for a new executive director. Our executive director, Wilbur Amon, great guy, but he was ready to retire. So at the time, NAVC was offering executive director services, and their caveat to ARAV at the time was, well, if you hire us, we will let you, you know, we're going to hire the executive director, you know, kind of of your choosing. And we had some, I I was the one who (laughs) recruited NAVC. So it's going to (laughs) sound like I hired myself. (laughs) <laughs> and maybe you sort of I did. sort of did yeah <laughs> so I worked for I so I was on this committee for ARV we ended up recruiting and hiring NAVC and we to be honest so totally upfront we had another one of my colleagues was totally queued up ready to take the position things didn't work out so they didn't take that the position at NAVC and the position opened up and I was like well huh maybe I'll do that job. <laughs> and uh, I was very lucky at the time because I, you know, it's a, it was a weird job because I was going to not be a clinical veterinarian. And I called up one of my mentors and I was like, Hey, am I crazy to even apply for this? Like I, he, and he was really, really encouraging. And I'm really grateful to him because he was like, no, you need to apply like right now. <laughs> I was like, okay. Break out the resume and open up, you know, Microsoft Word and try and figure out what I've done for the last ten years. Oh gosh, and yeah, it was. It was. It was I, like, no, I just I'm thinking of that in terms I of know, I had to right? do that recently, and like you pull it up and you're like, okay, how to? Yeah, you're trying to remember what, the what address of that clinic ten years ago, and you're like, yes. oh my god, it was definitely in Arizona. Which city? Yeah. <laughs> so it took you know, believe me, the day that someone at NAVC called me and offered me the job, I literally went through the whole day, like in a complete daze. I was like, this isn't real. This isn't happening to me. I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. Um, So I've been with NAVC for, for five years now. My job at NAVC has changed. I've always either been in association management with NAVC or in education planning and just this year or last year, gosh, it's 2021 now. Reminder in 2020, I was named chief veterinary officer. And again, believe me, no one was more surprised than me because a lot of times, you know, imposter syndrome is real, whether you're in clinical practice or you're not, but definitely loved my journey. It's been really interesting to work almost exclusively in associations for the last five years. So it's been really different, a different way to look at things. But I was surprised about you, ma'am. <laughs> because, <laughs> Do tell. Do tell. <laughs> no, because like Cassie, when you were, you know, hired by Vetfolio, it was very much like, oh, hey, we know this vet and she's going to come on and do Vetfolio. And I was like, great, there's going to be two of us. <laughs> yeah, cool. another, another yeah. DBM. Um, <laughs> And then, but that's, you know, kind of where it was just like, oh yeah, no, I know her. She's a good vet. And I'm like, cool, (laughs) cool. You know, one of my own is always good, but you didn't have, it wasn't like Cassie got out of school last week, started GP and landed this great gig at Vetfolio either. Oh no. So this has been, I always, I, and I maintain that one day I will figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Um, Probably not this year for me, but I'm hoping maybe before I retire. I keep thinking like maybe, maybe this year and that has happened for, uh, this is my seventh year out of school and it hasn't, hasn't happened yet. But yeah, I mean, you know, kind of similar to you, a lot of different things just kind of, you know, working my way through that, not that any of it has been 
a bad fit or anything like that. It, I've just had certain opportunities in my career. And I think I like some of the things that you said, because it's all about stepping out of your comfort zone and saying, like you said, you know, you got named chief veterinary officer and, and no one was more surprised because of imposter syndrome. And you're exactly right. Like when I got hired for a vet folio, it was very much, they're like, you're going to host a podcast channel. And anybody who knows me in technology, like I did know what a podcast was, but that was pretty much where my knowledge stopped. It was like, you were ahead of me what then. Do you, mean? <laughs> you were ahead of me. <laughs> and you know, all these different things. Oh, and you're gonna, you know, be, be on Facebook. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I haven't posted on Facebook in like 10 years. What do you mean? And jumping into this role, but uh, you know, been lucky enough to be surrounded by people who have my back and have really set me up for success in a lot of ways. But to just kind of briefly summarize my journey so that maybe, you know, you and I can kind of touch on the different things that we've done. And just like you said, between the two of us, how many opportunities there are in vet med. I came out of school, I graduated in 2014, and I have pretty much worked in general practice exclusively. I am a small animal general practitioner. Absolutely love it. Like those relationships with the clients and the pets and stuff like that, they are what gets me out of bed in the morning. But I've done it in a lot of different capacities. I've done brick and mortar. I've done mobile. I have done some emergency work and, you know, just kind of relief here and there, which speaking of relief, that's been part of my journey as well. And, um, business owner, all kinds of different things. And so, yeah, I think between the two of us, we've talked about a whole lot of different opportunities. And I, I think we've barely scratched the surface of what's out there. That's true. Cause I, you know, I mean, we could probably talk now a little bit, like I had a friend that I worked with in emergency many years ago and she was, she was great. She's very smart, but really struggled with emergency. She loved parts of the job, but hated other parts. Turns out she ends up going, she works for APHIS now, the animal. Oh gosh. And, and I'm going to say oh, animal. Oh, I had to look at this yesterday. Animal plant health inspection services. services. Is that yes. right? Yes. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm a USDA accredited it's, for, it's a USDA. Yeah. She's a USDA vet. And has just thrived in that career, like left emergency to do that because she needed something different. She needed to go completely different. And I remember having a really honest, tough conversation with her when she left emergency because we were friends. And so it was, you know, it was someone coming to you and going, I need you to be honest with me. And I know it's going to be hard for me to hear. And I was like, yeah, you, you need, you need to, you need to find a different job. <laughs> Hey, I mean, that's what you got to have those tough conversations and just be real about it for ourselves and, and colleagues and stuff like that. Cause how else are you going to grow? Well, yeah. And I think she knew it too. You know, I think she, she was, she had already started the application process to be a USDA vet. And she's like, do you think this will be a better fit for me? And I was like, yeah, honestly, like you have the knowledge, but you know, this environment was just really hard on you. It wasn't where you were thriving. You were, you know, things were too fast paced. You, you, you know, you were struggling to keep up. You're super smart. You're making good decisions. You're just making them not fast enough for that, especially that clinic at that time. We were an insanely busy emergency clinic, you know, 20, 30 inpatients a night, two, three doctors on at a time. And it was just, it was not an environment that everyone's going to do well in. And I remember her just being like very unsure of it. And, you know, it being like a big, it felt like a big gamble, but it's so interesting because I have found that a lot of my friends that have quote unquote, taken those big gambles have actually done really well. So that's, you know, sometimes it seems like it's a big gamble and it seems really scary, but I don't think I don't think it's so difficult, actually, once you make the leap. Right. It's just, it, it's making that leap that is the most difficult because imposter syndrome is a huge thing in our profession. And, you know, I would almost venture to say that, that imposter syndrome is not entirely a bad thing. In some ways, it really helps keep us humble and keep us from getting cocky and making mistakes. But you have to kind of harness it, which isn't always easy, but you have to harness it in a positive way to let it keep you humble and keep you from being cocky. 
but not let it hinder your confidence and your willingness to step into something new. I mean, there were, it took uh, multiple people in my life when Vetfolio was on the table to say, you know, I was, who am I to host a podcast channel and do, and, you know, do these different sure. things. And oh, by the way, I got to talk to like all these high up people that are way smarter than me and have way more letters behind their name. Like, why do they want to talk to me? And, you know, it ultimately it came down to a lot of people in my life going, just do it, just do it. And so I, I just did it. And I'm, I'm not saying that imposter syndrome is gone by any means, but it's, you know, like some, we're, we're really good at compartmentalization, right? So it's tucked away sure. in a little box and it comes out when it needs to. Yeah. And, you know, I try to kind of keep it in that little box. Reminds you to like, you know, I, and I, I agree. In some ways, imposter syndrome is good, right? It reminds you, you know, I need to look that up again. I need to review that. I need to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm, that's all fresh in my mind or I can still do those things. But at the same time, I think the part of imposter syndrome that's, that's damaging is I think we forget that in school, you know, the guarantee wasn't, oh, you're going to come out of school and know everything. No one knows that. Right. <laughs> um, but, in, and it's interesting because I haven't had, I work with, you know, a lot of specialists and speakers and folks that are really renowned in their field. And they're like, yeah, I know a lot about what I know. And I don't know anything about subjects outside of my, my niche you That's know, my niche thing vet med in general. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know a lot about being a vet, but yeah. aside from that, yeah. even, even my, you know, even the being a vet has its limitations. <laughs> it does. But, you know, I think we forget that one of the things we learned in school was how to learn. You know, right. we, we did learn, like if you've been in GP for 10 years or you've been in GP for 20 years, it doesn't mean you can't change jobs because you have the capacity to learn. You have the capacity to go back, to get CE, to open books, to learn from your colleagues, to learn from, you know, we've so many great learning institutions. And it's really interesting when I think back to vet school, the oldest person in my class was in her forties, my age now. I graduated school a few years before Cassie did, just a few, just a few. So I'm 18 years out of school though. I'm not afraid to say that because it's been an interesting 18 years. And, you know, I look back at, you know, the, the folks that were, you know, quote unquote, significantly older when I was in vet school. And I'm like, man, there's a certain maturity that has come with that. That makes you go, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up because... <laughs> I just don't know that I'm going to be that kind of person who has ever got that completely figured out. But I also am starting to realize like, eh, if, you know, if this doesn't work out, there's still lots of options. I'm just going to have to go back to the drawing board a little bit and, and figure them out. I've certainly known people who've gone back and done certification programs and even internships and residencies 10, 15 years out of veterinary school, which is phenomenal to me, but people do it. And it, it kind of made me tell my friend the other day, like, if, if, if they can do that, you can take a different job. <laughs> yeah. When you, you talk know? about internships and residencies, that'll take three to five years to complete and, you know, come with other things that are kind of restrictive as far as lifestyle and stuff like that goes, it makes going, okay, I can, you know, this is, this practice is not the fit for me right now. I need to change practices or look for something different in my career. It makes that seem a little bit more attainable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think sometimes, at least I am, and maybe it's just me, but I'm always kind of holding like some of the things my friends have done. I kind of keep them in mind. I keep them in the back, like for lack of a better word, I keep them as back pocket options, um, yeah. you know, and that's always interesting to me. Well, and just speaking of the opportunities that are out there, the things that we can do in our career, and this, these are just things that kind of come to my mind, but I'm sure I'm missing a whole slew of them. You know, we've talked about internships and residencies. There's also doing, uh, you know, more of a shelter environment, spay neuter. There's teaching, whether it's in vet students or technology programs, or I'm sure a lot of other teaching options that are out there. You mentioned your friend who is now a USDA vet. So there's, there's government and food inspection 
writing, there's a lot of opportunity. Well, I don't know about a lot of opportunities. I don't, I've never looked into what opportunities are out there, but I know that veterinary writing is another option that's out there. And then, you know, if you do want to do something, you stay in practice and do something different. Maybe it's getting out of the brick and mortar and going to more of a mobile setting or changing from more traditional care to getting a, a, certification like veterinary acupuncture or sports medicine or something like that. I mean, there's tons of opportunities that, you know, if you want to change your career entirely, those options are out there. If you just need an adjustment, I think those, those (laughs) options are there too. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's important to keep in mind that not, you know, not all, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a specialist. You don't have to necessarily go out and get and do an internship and residency. If you've been out 10 years and you're like, look, I, I need to find something that, you know, I need to find, you know, my own little groove in, in this world. I think it's important to keep in mind that not all of the types of practice out there require you going back to internship residency status. Cause there's a number of reasons certain people can't do that time, families, geography, things like that. But there are so many great certificate programs out there. I do have another friend who works at a completely, uh, you know, she just does rehabilitation. That's what she does. She's, you know, it's small animal still uses her dog and cat medicine, but she works at a practice that, you know, where they're not doing, you know, parasite control or flea and tick or you know, even any GP, really. They're not doing sick patients. They're doing 100% rehabilitation programs. And that's, it's that's really so cool. important. Yeah. I've taken my own pets to her because that's not my gig. So, you know, if you need a, a conference schedule looked at, I'm happy to help you, but not going to be the one to tell you why my dog is limping. I, you know, I could probably take some guesses. Um, I certainly remember some things, but she's definitely got some skills that a lot of us wouldn't have. And again, not all those things require internship and residency. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. And really, when you think about exploring your options, make sure you're not being too, you know, pigeonholed and I can't do that. And because I think there's a lot more out there than, than people realize. And I think you touched on something very important in vet med in general. And that's that, you know, you, you said this a little bit earlier and then just kind of reiterated it now that there's no way to know everything in vet med. You know, we're all going to have our niche that is, you know, I, I'm very good at this portion of vet med. And I wonder sometimes if that might be part of the feeling stuck is feeling the need to know everything and do everything and be everything because many of us by nature, myself included, are kind of people pleasers and, oh, yes, I can let me help you and, and do all of this. But that can also take a, a big mental and emotional toll. So if that's part of the feeling stuck of, you know, I'm never going to master all, all of this stuff. Well, no, you're not, nobody could. So maybe it's narrowing that focus kind of, you know, like what your friend does where she does just rehabilitation. She says, I love this. I'm good at it. I understand it. And I'm going to focus on this portion of vet med. You are, you are pursuing an advanced certification for being an association vet. Is that right? Am I wording that completely wrong? (laughs) No, I am. I'm anxiously awaiting the results of my certified association executive exam, actually, as we speak, frantically running out to the mailbox every day to see if there's any news on on that. Oh, it's just like when you got into vet school. (laughs) If anything, yeah, if anything, that it's been an interesting experience because, you know, now five years in, doing fully association, you know, association executive activities. I was like, you know, being and being a vet and being, you know, tend to being an overachiever, I will happily lay down. Yep. I am. I, you know, why would I just, Oh gosh. And are you like me? I love the letters. Like if <laughs> well, I'm like, if I do this, will you put more letters with my, with my is, name? Cause that would be cool. sort of exciting. <laughs> and you know, for a lot of, um, there's a little bit of pressure there too, good and bad, right? It may not happen. It's extremely difficult to exam. And uh, it definitely brought back some uh, memories of 
vet school that were not always super pleasant of, of like prepping for exams and things like that. And, and I guess I would warn all of our listeners that too, like, don't let that necessarily scare you off because it really did almost scare me off. I was really like, man, a big complicated exam. And there's a class just a prep for the exam and there's a class and I have to take a class. And then I bought the books for the class and then it oh, really gosh. hit. <laughs> yeah. I and don't I take like, classes. Oh, I organize oh, them. Yes. <laughs> um, Exactly. And I was like, this book is, it's not, it's not thin. This is, this is like a paperweight kind of book. This is, you know, you're going to keep papers from blowing off your desk on a windy day style book. And it was a little nerve wracking. You know, I'm, I'm not two years out of school. I'm not even five years out of school. I'm this year will be my, you know, 18th year out of veterinary school. And the thought of taking an exam last year was pretty nerve wracking, but you know, I think, don't let that hold you back from something either, you know, take it step by step. You know, I had a full-time job and believe it or not, I still work at a clinic one day a week for half a day. <laughs> I, do. Um, I love, I like my exotic pets and I decided to keep that role with my NAVC job five years ago, now six. And I, I kind of made it a condition. This was a really brave moment, honestly. <laughs> like, <laughs> To be very honest with you, I when I when I got the job offer, you know, again, part of me was just like, take it, don't care what the details are. And I was like, no, 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 I gotta, I gotta check something here. I wanted to keep my my clinical hours at a local clinic that where I do exotic pet medicine here. And I kind of was like, uh, yeah, I really, really want this, I really want this job, but can I keep doing this? And the answer was unequivocally, yes, you can. And I was like, oh, thank God I asked. You just got to ask. You got to, you know, you got to be comfortable. You don't, don't assume. And I'm really bad about this because I have, you know, that people pleaser personality where it's like, oh, but I'll just, you know, it'll be okay. I'll just do, you know, what they want to do. But that's a recipe for, for getting stuck and for ending up in a, in a dead end or, or I guess I would just end up getting stuck. Uh, that, yeah, it's a recipe for getting stuck. If you don't talk to the people around you about what's important in your career and in your life. And many times I have found that people are more than willing to have a conversation with you about it and see how you can be a part of what they're doing as a whole person, not just, you know, we want this little teeny part of you and we don't, you know, we don't care about any of the rest of it. Most people do want to know who you are as a whole person and how that's going to play into whatever role they have in your life. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, you have, you know, we've had somewhat different careers and you were talking about, you know, being a whole person and having to balance things. Well, there, I mean, you have got to talk to me about being a working mom. That is not something I've experienced. My choices in life have just been different. And how has that changed, you know, having multiple jobs, especially how have you worked that all in? Oh man, it's, uh, it, it changes by the day. Sure. <laughs> you know, on, on this day, I'm going to make it work this way. And then we're going to move some things around. You know, it's, it's been the best thing in my entire life. I love being a mom, my children are my whole world, but it was also really important to me to remain a veterinarian. I love being a veterinarian and and I know I'm very fortunate to be in a career that I love. So it, it was, and it was, I say it was, but no, it is striking a balance between being there for my children and making sure they know how important they are to me, but then also setting a good example of being a career woman and somebody who can go and accomplish goals and, and work hard and, and be a part of something. And so I actually, I made, there's a video on my social media page from like a month or two ago where I talked about the spinning plates and Yes. You know, you're running back and forth to like spin this one, spin this one. That's a terrible analogy because they never all keep spinning. Like I'm always dropping the ball on something. It's just 
you know, kind of changing it up on which ball am I dropping today and don't drop it so badly that I can't go pick it up later. I think an analogy I once heard is, are you dropping the glass balls or are you dropping the rubber ones? There we go. I think that's the perfect way to put it. Yeah, because I that was kind of a mixed metaphor there with the spinning <laughs> plates and dropping balls. We're doing both. And maybe you're doing a little bit of both, but yeah. There's balls, I mean, I, there's plates, there's spinning, there's dropping, there's and and, the and knowing And knowing that they change too, right? Like- <laughs> I mean, even, you know, even though I, I'm, I'm not a working mom, obviously there's still family and friends and other obligations that have made me, you know, make boundaries as I've made choices in my job. And for me, it's always the, well, is that ball glass today or is that ball rubber? Because <laughs> you're, no, you're absolutely right. Because it does change. There are days where it's like, no, this has to take priority in my life today. This has to be number one, but that might not be true tomorrow. Something else might take priority tomorrow. And you know, talking about going to employers or, you know, whatever you're a part of and talking about what's important. I recently took a part-time position with a clinic local in my area, which has been a godsend. I've absolutely loved it. But one of the biggest things going in is I said, look, I really don't have a lot of extra childcare options. You know, my kids are in daycare and stuff like that. So that helps a lot, but here's where my limitations are, where I really have to be there for my kids. And they were incredibly accepting and open. It was, it became a very give and take relationship of, okay, I know you have to be there for your kids in this capacity. Can we switch things around and make it work this way? And we began working together instead of, well, you know, it was never, if you can't fulfill this, then we're not interested in you. But it took asking and it took making sure they knew what was important to me in my life and in my schedule. Yeah. And I mean, I'll I'll double down on that too and say, you know, the other thing that was important to me when I took this job actually at NABC was, you know, NABC is based in Florida and I was living at the time in Chicago and or outside of Chicago and I'm still living outside of Chicago. So when I took this job, I said, I don't, I want to work remote. (laughs) And that was well before remote work was the cool thing to be. Speaking as somebody who's from Chicago and now works in Florida, I'm not going to say I understand (laughs) it. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. It is February and it's like three degrees today. So I understand that. But yeah, you know, for me, my family was here and I, you know, it was one of those things where it was the geography felt like a barrier when I, when I applied for the job, I was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get this because I'm, I'm not willing to move to Florida at this point in my life. This is, this was a ball I wasn't willing to drop. You know, this was a glass ball at the time. And I said, you know, Hey, this is, this is where I'm at is I'm in Chicago. This is where my life is right now, where my family, my friends are. And I was really surprised to find that it was an issue. It was a non-issue. So, you know, similar to how you were able to work out, you know, childcare arrangements. I think sometimes we're not good. Like if, if all you see is barriers and you're treating them like barriers, it's, I think it's really important to have a conversation with a potential employer with a new job and talk about, you know, maybe that barrier isn't as much of a barrier as you think it is. Um, you can't get into that. No, because if you look at it as, oh, well, because of this, this, and this, it wouldn't work. So I'm not even going to try. Well, then it's definitely not going to happen. So what do you have to lose by, yeah. you know, kind of poking those barriers and going, is this really <laughs> a barrier? Like, see if it, see if it falls down. It might. It, yeah, it really might. You know, like, again, talking, going back to that story where I was talking to this friend and you know, she has some, she has some geography. She's got, you know, she doesn't want to move and okay, great. So in that geography, there might only be one private practice solution, but like, it's funny. Cause I talked with her again, I kind of, you know, we kind of had a little like friends tete to tete and we're like talking through it and she needed to vent and she needed to get some things out. And it's funny. Cause she reached back out to me a few days later and she's like, you know what, you were right. I, I, I thought that because this was the only practice in my geography, you know, in my geographical area that fit with what I want to do, that that was what I was limited to. Well, now I'll say this. Now she's looking at things that aren't private practice that might actually work for her. So, you know, I think sometimes you, 
there's that fear of like stepping outside the box and trying whole new, really, like really different pra- types of practice. And I, you know, one of them that strikes me and one thing that I had looked at in the past prior to taking this job is a lot of times people don't look at jobs in industry. And I think it's a big missed opportunity or you think you have to be like some sort of expert on that particular industry's <laughs> products. Um, it's like, no, 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 they'll teach you. I promise they'll teach you. Um, they have whole courses designed they, for that. They really you will. You will have to yeah. take tests though. You will have to take tests, yes. But <laughs> if you can get over that, like that could be a really interesting job. And I've certainly known some folks that have gone that way and had a lot of fulfillment and truly some people have had lifelong careers in industry, not in clinical practice, who contribute a ton to the, you know, the profession as a whole, because that's another, and I don't know, you probably feel this way a little bit now a days, Cassie, but one of my weird kind of feelings when I took the role at NAVC was, am I still going to be a real vet? <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. And I remember like in freshman orientation in vet school, we had an industry vet come and talk to us. And she said that was something that she struggled with taking that job as well. And she said she still gets that question from well-meaning folks who are, you know, why did you decide you want to do this and not be a real vet anymore? (laughs) She's like, no, I still am a real vet. But, But that's the point is you can still be a real vet in all these different capacities. And I'm sure we're missing a ton that we haven't even thought of. But it does, yeah, it doesn't make you any less of a real vet. You're just, you know, your vet med is a huge career field and it takes all kinds to make it work. I mean, look where we are in the treatment options that we have available to animals in 2021. It's amazing. And in order to support all of that, we need all kinds of different roles. The, the pharmaceutical options are enormous. Like God knows we need somebody who can talk to us about right, those who and knows break it down them, for us. Yeah, because no way we can learn it all, our, you know, just on our own. Just on our own, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's always fascinating to me. It's like the grown, uh, for for lack of a better word, it's almost like a grown up, like at post vet school, what like the the follow up question to why aren't you a real doctor? Well, oh gosh, well now, <laughs> you know, every, that question would, that's like your, your vet school, post-vet school. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, now the question is, why aren't you a real vet? And it's like, oh no, I am. I swear. But it did take a little bit of realization on my part to think, you know, actually I feel like, and now again, I've been with NABC six years. I, you know, I feel good, pretty good about the role. I still have like this settled in a little, not really, you know, that's (laughs) funny as people ask, they're like, Oh, do you feel like, you know what you're doing now? It's like, no, 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 no. I still feel like I'm shooting from the hip every day. Um, it's like emergency. It really is in some ways. Yes. It's like, do you know exactly what you're going to do? It's like, no, I really don't. But I'm going to start doing something, see how it works out. That's kind of like this podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go down one path. We're going to see where it takes us. Yeah. So, no, it's it's just, it's really funny because it it has taken me some time though in this job to think, hopefully what I'm doing and hopefully how I'm contributing to helping my friends who are veterinarians, because that's the one part of my job I really do love is my job is to work for veterinarians. My job is to make your lives better, easier, to make your careers more fulfilling. And if I focus on that, then all of a sudden I feel like I'm actually contributing more than I do on those Monday afternoons when I fix that rabbit's diarrhea, which still feels good. Because if you've ever had a rabbit get better from diarrhea, it it feels good. It's an accomplishment. You're Superman. (laughs) You kind of do. You kind of do, you know? One other thing I wanted to talk about from a general practitioner standpoint is sometimes it adjusting what it is that you're doing in the clinic can help if you're not enjoying your job for, you know, whatever reason. And what I mean by that is as I've kind of settled into this practice that I'm now with, one of the things that I really love is there's a lot of vets 
and we all have different strengths and we're all mostly given roles that play to our strengths. There's vets who like surgery, there's vets who do integrative care, there's vets like me who, you know, I really want to be on the front lines. I want to be your appointment guy and go, you know, talk to people and be your internal med workups and stuff like that. And so I know for me, surgery, not my jam. I'm really dentistry, give it to me all day long. But when I have to open an abdomen, like I am just internally panicking. I'm in a cold sweat. Like it can't be (laughs) sterile and it's not good. And so they've really put me in a role where I don't have to do much surgery and I have the option to decline and there's someone else there to do it. So sometimes just being vocal about your likes and dislikes and having a changing role in the practice can help. Yeah. And you know, I've even found that with relief. Cause I've been very yeah. upfront with, you know, when I've done relief in the past and it's, it's been in a very limited way in the last few years, because obviously my role and my focus has been with NABC, but when I was doing relief a little bit more kind of mixed in with my emergency stuff, I was very honest about things. I, I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, I, you know, it's not a, it's not a service. It's <laughs> not a service to your nobody. patients. It's not a service to your patients. And for me, one of them was dentistry. You know, I had gone from GP done strictly ER for so many years, you know, the, really the only teeth I dealt with on emergency was the ones that were literally had literally fallen out basically. And the eye is swollen. <laughs> yeah, no, like even then I was like, so, you know, you're going to want to follow up with your, like it's Saturday. Here's some antibiotics. <laughs> this is not an emergency today. Here's some ointment. Here's some antibiotics. Go to your regular vet. You need dental x-rays. Da, 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 da. I'm not pulling a tooth on, on a, you know, on an ER patient, you know, 99% of the time there was a handful of like canine avulsions that we would see like traumatic ones. And, you know, very upfront with the owners about what my capabilities were then. But when I turn around and do GP relief, I'd be like, don't, please don't schedule dentals. I, I could muddle through, but I'm not gonna, like, I don't feel good about the level of care I can offer your patients in the world of, of dentistry. Another one for me was always, I don't like eyes at all. <laughs> Like they scare me. Um, And I was, and part of this goes back to that ER days is we actually worked. um, I worked at a a multi-specialty practice for the large majority of my ER time and literally down the hall were the ophthalmologists. And so short of like very minor eye things, I'd be like, so let me call the ophthalmologist for you. Like, don't even put them in a room. I don't want to examine it. I don't think that's wise. And it became, it's be, it became a joke because like people would be like, Dana, there's an eye case. And I'd be like, one, can the other doctor see it? First and foremost, I don't care what, like <laughs> bad conjunctivitis. I'm like, I'm going to get kind of queasy. Can the other doctor see it? And two, if it's anything other than like a corneal scratch or like bad conjunctivitis, do they want, do they want to just skip this level entirely and see ophthalmology? Because I, I, you, <laughs> that's kind of, ew, ew, I feel ew, like ew. that's where, you know, like the vomiting dog that can't hold down water yes. and they're like, yeah, there's this dog's vomiting, like including water. It's been going on for three days. I have that reaction where I'm like, is there anybody else who wants to look at it <laughs> besides me? Can somebody else please look at this animal? <laughs> anyone, <laughs> because anyone. <laughs> God forbid it's an obstruction, let alone if like any of that intestine has died. I am, like I said, cold sweat, not sterile. Like my tears will be in the abdomen. It will be good. <laughs> See, Cassie, we should have practiced together because that was the one thing I really loved about emergency is I was oh, happy. Yeah, to we would have complimented each do, other well. <laughs> happy to do surgery. Happy to talk with you about, you know, that kind of thing. Let's get my hands in a belly that I feel like I can fix. We're good to go. But yeah, somebody come in with a crusty eye and I'd be like, so So, let's call my colleague over here. Yeah. And it's really funny because when I tell people that, you know, they're like, you worked emergency for, for a decade and they're like, well, certainly you, you know, you saw eyes, you did enucleations and I'm like, I can literally, I can tell you I did three enucleations and every time it was. 
I was the only, it was usually middle of the night. I was the only doctor on and it was like literally so bad that it was obvious there was no other choice. <laughs> and those are the only really? inoculations I did. <laughs> but other than that, well, that's, you know, like my resection and anastomosis, like that is exactly what it is. It is my one resection and anastomosis and it was on a puppy and the puppy did great. And if I never do one again in my life, it will be too soon. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I do think that's something that, you know, I think people get nervous about potentially taking a job where they are going to be, you know, where there's certain things they're not comfortable with or certain things they just don't want to do. It makes it hard to get out of bed in the morning when you it just does. don't Absolutely. know what's going to come at you that day. And you know, it could be a lot of stuff that you have to deal with. That's really beyond your comfort level and and abilities. I think it's very fair to say this is, I'm not the person that you want doing this procedure. This There's job, yeah. so much that we can do in vet med these days. It's, it, it's crazy to think somebody can do all of it and be that good at all of it, at all. Well, of it. And, you know, I'll extend it to even not just certain, you know, maybe certain parts of vet med, but even if there's certain things that you're, you know, you're not good at, um, you know, or you're maybe not in a, a place where you can do a good job with something. And the thing that comes to mind for me is teaching. I, I love teaching. I certainly, I, you know, I taught interns on emergency. I've done some work with vet tech schools, but I will say this, I know myself better now. And I know there were times in my career when I was not a good teacher. I wasn't, I just, I was burnt out dealing with my own job stress, personal stress, sometimes both. And that's not a time where I was a good teacher. So I do think there's like that moment where you have to be a, a really sort of honest with yourself. And it's not always easy <laughs> because sometimes you're really critical of yourself. And sometimes it's with good reason. Like I look back and I'm like, I should have told my supervisors in those roles that I wasn't in a good place to do that part of that job at that point. And I think it would have been better, not only for me, but obviously for the poor people I was teaching. <laughs> it was, it was a rough, there was some rough things. And, and I don't think I would have, you know, looking back, you know, the fear is, oh, if you can't do everything or you can't do exactly would I have lost my job or would I have lost that role. And the interesting thing, and I'm going to, I'll be very honest with you guys is I did end up losing that job. I was laid off for economic reasons. And I'm sure that part of their decision was she's not really in a place where she can do parts of this job. And it was hard. It was a really, like, it was a gut check, but it was also one of the best things that happened to me in my job, in my career, because it made me realize that there, I needed a different, I needed a different job. I needed a different you know, job. I still loved vet med and there were so many things I loved about vet med, but I didn't love certain things about that job. And I'm glad that I got laid off at the time, which is a really strange thing to say because no, it's not because I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Cause the same thing happened to me. Oh it was a little gosh. different. Yeah. I lost a job. Um, it was a job I'd been with for quite a long time and it's terrifying and it comes with all kinds of emotions of like, I, I, you know, I'm no good and I did something wrong. I failed. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is not something we as veterinarians handle well, but it's, it's all about how you respond to it. And many times, which in your case and definitely in mine as well, it, a lot of times it really can be a good thing. Like if you lose that job, it's not because you're a failure. Or there's anything wrong with you. It, that may just be where life is at that point. And it, it's, a it's all about ball, coming back but a good from one. It, what you do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's funny because years later, someone told me there, someone said to me, everyone should be fired once in their job. Yes. And I, it was, I was at a place where I was many years <laughs> away from that. Cause if you had told me that, you know, the day after, you know, I, I got laid off, oh, yeah. um, I probably would have, you know, just broken down and been, it was very emotional, but years later I'm like, yeah, no, you do. So I mean, I think that's another piece of encouragement to the folks out there who maybe feel like their job doesn't fit and they they're, they're making themselves like they're trying to be, a square peg in a round hole is I don't think there's anything wrong with being like, you know what, if, if I'm truly honest with them, they're, they're probably going to feel like I'm not good for this job. Maybe I'm not. 
maybe I'm not, but that doesn't mean you're not good for another job. Right. I think that's, you know, the, the resolution to this is, is just cause that's not your job. Doesn't mean there's not a great job for you out there, maybe in a different way, maybe a different for, you know, different type of practice, a, diff- a whole different field. I really think there's something to be said for just being brave, going out and trying something new. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've touched on so many just super important things. You know, one that there's so many opportunities out there. I love that we talked about losing our jobs because (laughs) it is such a career defining moment. Like it changes everything. It really is. So if you've lost your job, if you're, you know, or, or something like that, please don't feel like it's, it's a failure that you're a failure. There's anything wrong with you. It happens to many, many people. A lot of people. Yes. Yes. If it hasn't happened to you, then good on you. (laughs) Well, I, I think, you know, I think people are surprised when you bring it up because I think there's this, you know, the, the perception that uh, successful people don't lose their jobs ever. Successful people have never been fired or, and I think many people who are quote unquote defined as successful will tell you they have been fired. (laughs) They have been, you know, they have been let go or they have, you know, failed in some way, but in that failure, I think what makes them successful is that they went, you know, they took that gut check moment and went, all right, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to, you know, what did I, what went well? What didn't go well? How can I? Because there's going to be some things that you can change as an individual and say, these are probably things that I did that contributed to this situation. But then also exactly like you said, saying there were also these aspects that weren't a good fit for me. And those aren't things that I really want to try to get good at. Those aren't my strengths. Those don't, you know, bring me joy, so to speak. And so let me look for a different opportunity that doesn't include those things if I can avoid them. Exactly. So one of the, the, one of the reasons Cassie and I are doing this is because I was recently approached by a friend and she is a vet student who is really feeling the pressure of doing one type of veterinary medicine. And unfortunately for better or worse, the most common type of veterinarian out there is a small animal general practitioner. So we wanted, and she wanted to start exploring all of the interesting, crazy, odd careers that exist in veterinary medicine. So I introduced our friends to, or pardon me, my friends from practice to my friends at NAVC. And this is where we're at. So I'm very excited because on the next episode, Cassie and I are going to get to talk to two veterinary students, Amelia and Kayla, about all of the possibilities that they are trying to explore and all of the folks that they want to interview to think about all of the crazy, amazing, different types of careers in veterinary medicine. And I'm really excited because I love working with students because I feel like they're like, they're like the stem cells of our profession. <laughs> um, so true. They can become anything and they have this really cool ability to adapt and think about things in a very outside of the box way that maybe some of us, you know, certainly as you get older, or as you get more set in your career, become harder. Like we talked about today, not impossible but harder. So I'm really excited to talk to them, not just about what those career possibilities are, but how things like money and geography and maybe even your choices in school (laughs) don't define the rest of your life. I'm super excited to talk to them and hear their perspectives because I agree with you. The world is wide open for them right now and where their careers are going to go. So I'm so excited to hear what they have in mind, what they want to pursue and just kind of their experience in getting there to this point, which, you know, it, I, I would say for better for the small animal general practitioner, but obviously I'm a little biased, but Certainly, like we've talked about, there's so many other career opportunities out there. So I'm so excited to hear from them what kind of opportunities they're interested, what they've come across, and you know, kind of their plans for getting there. Yeah, what new ideas we can plant in their heads. Yes, for better, for worse. <laughs> Amazon is here, excuse me. <laughs>
All right, Hannah, thank you for keeping us on task or we would have talked all afternoon. I'm so glad she let us know that Amazon had arrived. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And as we alluded to towards the end, we have a few more in the works, including our upcoming talk with vet students Amelia and Kayla about different career paths in veterinary medicine. So that's coming up soon. If you'd like to find out more about this and other podcast episodes, click on the education tab on Vetfolio's portal. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.